This is Veterans Voices with Kevin Berger, Memories and Stories of Minnesota's Korean War Veterans. On the first Tuesday of every month, if you go to the American Legion Hall in Roseville, you will meet the members of Minnesota Korean Veterans Chapter 1. My name is Ed Valley. I'm currently the president of the Minnesota Korean War Veterans Chapter 1. I served in Korea in 1954 with the U.S. Air Force. Tell me about the Korean War Veterans Chapter. Why do you get together? What's the point of that? Well, back in 1988, geez, sounds like a long time ago, 1988, a couple of guys got together that were Korean War veterans by chance, and they met, had a few beers, and they said, you know, we should get a couple of guys and get together and, and talk about Korea. And uh, so they did, and then one thing led to another, and before you know they had five, ten guys, and uh, they met at, uh, at that time, a place called Hafner's, which was a restaurant on the east side of St. Paul. And uh, they said, well, we should get some more guys, and then it got bigger and bigger, and then all of a sudden they decided they would find a place like an American Legion Hall instead of making it a restaurant, which they did. But one thing led to another. One guy found out this guy was a Korean vet, and he said, we got a bunch of guys that are coming down. And it started out to be a group of guys that would sit there, have a few beers, and tell war stories. Nothing fancy, nothing structured. Well, as the time went on, it got bigger and bigger. So they said, well, we should probably get a little collection. And so everybody threw a little money in the hat. Then it got bigger and bigger, and they said, well, we should probably have some people running this thing. <laughs> okay, we should have somebody that would be the president and vice president and a treasurer and maybe a, a quartermaster to buy some trinkets, stuff, you know, medals. And then after a while, I said, everybody throw in a dollar every month as dues, okay? The meeting became less good old boys and more structured, more business-like, you know, what, what can we do for the community? And then should we look at marching in parades? And should we look at helping some of the guys that need help? And, uh, and it grew from 12 guys to over 300. And then there is a national organization out of D.C. You can form a chapter and apply for a charter, which we did. We're number 40, I think. And uh, so we are not only an organization of local Korean War veterans, but we're part of a national organization that meets once a year in various cities for the grand, big mm -hmm. reunion type thing. They've really uh, become uh, an organization that has, it's been meaningful to them. Sunday, really? Monday, yeah. Okay. yeah. After Thanksgiving. I thought there was yeah. this picture oh, yeah. that lit up, but I guess not. Oh, yes. him and his mama. Now, while the guys go in with the door closed and talk about their business, uh, their wives would often come with them, and before you know it, they're meeting every month. They're looking forward to getting together, and it was fun to sit there with them. They're talking, they used to talk about their kids, then their grandkids. Now they're talking about their great-grandchildren. And they're, of course, talking about health conditions and enjoying that time to be together. Well, we just have a lot, of co lot in common, you know, and we have a good time. It's like one big family, really. Uh, Carol Lewandowski was there. She is uh, the wife of Irv Lewandowski, who is a Marine who served in uh, Korea. And she was telling me about how 
they are able to support one another as wives and as veterans. We've been together for a lot of years, seen a lot of things come and go, and we just enjoy being together. We have a good time. When you say we have a lot in common, what? Um, well, the guys being veterans, um, we all seem to like the same things. We've gone on trips where we've just had a really, really good time. Um, we've watched everybody's families grow up and mature, and we've all become great-grandparents, grandparents, all at the same time, and it, it's just fun. So you said you're not like a formal auxiliary. Why, why do you think that is? It was brought up uh, years ago, and one of the veterans who has now passed said, no, we don't, an auxiliary is always in the background. We don't want you behind us. We want you beside us. And that's where we've always been. One of the guys who uh, regularly attends the monthly chapter meetings is uh, Robert Sorteberg. That's a good old Norwegian name. I was in the U.S. Navy. Back when he was 20. I was in September of 1950 to July of 1954. 46 months and 10 days. And what were your duties? I was a diesel engine man, and I served on an LST in the engine room. And it was very, very, very noisy. And the thing that the Navy didn't do was give you any kind of air protection because it was almost impossible to hear anybody talking. So what we did was we wrote notes, and then you read my note. That's how we talked because it was just so loud. And I've since then got a 10% disability from them because my hearing is bad. I'm surprised that you haven't lost more of your hearing than you did. Well, uh, it was, when I came out of the engine room, my ears used to just ring for a half an hour. I couldn't hear nothing, and it finally went away. But we should have had some kind of ear protection to prevent that. It's just that they all seem to be about the same age. They all have the camaraderie. They um, all had that feeling for a long time that they were the forgotten ones. And it just kind of binds them together, I think. What about being the wives of the forgotten ones? If they were forgotten, then I would think uh, even maybe doubly so for, for the women. Probably. It's never really been brought up, though. We, we just have just always been there. <laughs> what were you hearing about it at the time? Really, not much. Uh, I knew there was a, a war. At that time, it was called a conflict. Uh, in Korea, but uh, there wasn't much publications or much uh, news coming out as to what was going on over there. How do you think Americans felt about it? Um, well, you know, uh, I think they felt it was something they, they should do. And do you think that it was uh, the right action for the U.S. to take to go in there? At the, at the particular time, I think it was. Uh, you look at the, the situation around the world, and communism was really starting to grow, and they had a lot of influence in, in the Asiatic uh, part of the country, part of the world. And let me tell you, it was not a conflict. It was a war. Why do you say that? Well, because it, it um, politically wise for the United States government to declare war, it had to be, had to be uh, approved by Congress. And Congress was not about to prove another war five years after the big one. World War II ended, all the guys came back, they got their jobs, got married, raised families, 
Uh, all of a sudden, five years later, here comes another conflict, another war, and Congress is not about to declare another war. So let's call it a police action. Let's go over there and, and help the people. And before we know it, we were, we were in it knee-deep. It, it is true that the Korean veterans are often called the forgotten veterans. They served in a forgotten war, and, and they feel that. But the fact is, the Korean conflict, it wasn't even called a war when it started, was sandwiched between two much larger, more publicized wars. And often, these people feel like they have been forgotten, and that's one of the reasons why they like to get together, because they have that shared memory of that era. If you look at the numbers, there were two gigantic wars, and this little one in the middle, there were 16 million Americans that served in the World War II era. Um, there were 9 million who served in the Vietnam era. Now, again, not all of them in-country. Some of them uh, stationed elsewhere. So 16 million, 9 million, 5.7 million in the Korean War. So just a smaller number in that era. This group that gets together here, your chapter one, uh, wh why do you like to get together with this group? It's comradeship. Larry Diddle was one of the people, one of the veterans I got a chance to meet with. He served in the Marine Corps. So when you were a young man going off to war, did you have any idea what you were in for? Not at all. No, when I was first told to hit a hill, and they wanted the machine gun up there too, I looked at this jeep coming off the hill, and... There was arms and legs sticking out of the trailer behind the Jeep, and I told the sergeant, what are they using, dummies up there? He said, Marine, those are people. And I thought, oh my God, I'm in a war. And he's been a member of the chapter and has found it to be a place where he can talk to other veterans about really some of the terrible things that they endured in this war. And I'd, I'd think, oh my God, I, I'm going too many times. I'm not going to make it next time. Just the odds that yeah, it would catch up with you. And I said, I, I told them, I didn't know they wanted to kill the machine gunner. That's the first guy they want to get out of their way. But we have five ammo carriers that protect me, too. And they were wonderful. They protected the machine gun because that, that was their main weapon. So everybody was looking out for everybody else. That's what it is, your brothers. They're as good as your own brothers. But some of them came home. Home was the first thing on your mind. They got to me. Such a humble group of people served without expecting any glory uh, without complaint. It's hard, it's hard to generalize when you're talking about, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. But uh, they, they answered the call. That was, their, that was their job. That was their responsibility as adults, as Americans. And, and they did it. And again, that's pretty great. I think this chapter, again, just started by a couple of guys having some beers. You know, when things take root and, and stick around, it's for a good reason. 
it, it's not as as uh, Ed Valley said. Yeah, it's not just talking about old war stories. They're 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 serving one another still, in some way, that is helpful to all of them. You know, they wouldn't keep it up. They're getting something out of it. When they meet together on a monthly basis, year in and year out, they're getting something out of it. Belonging to an organization that is entirely Korean War veterans, you talk to guys that have been there, and uh, they express some of the things that they have encountered. One of our members uh, was a prisoner of war right off the start of the war and treated very brutally. They came in one night and started to annihilate all the prisoners, and uh, he faked his death and fell down, and a couple of guys fell on top of him. And he stayed motionless, pretending he was dead. And after they, they left and everything, then he got out and uh, escaped and got caught again. But uh, the uh, there was brutality, like all wars, for prisoners of wars especially. Today, the military would likely offer help and counseling and other services to some of these servicemen, people like Larry Diddle. But uh, those, after Korea... People were kind of on their own, figure it out, tough it out. And the term, I looked it up, post-traumatic stress and disorder, PTSD, that came into use, that came into becoming an acknowledged term in the 1970s after the Vietnam era. So you have people who just held it in, didn't talk about it, suffered silently, or in some cases they could talk to their fellow veterans about it. We're down under 200 now, and uh, we don't have as big meetings as we used to have. We used to have 60 or 70 attended meetings. Now we're lucky we get 20, 30 because uh, we have veterans that unfortunately passed away and some that don't travel, can't travel, won't travel. Uh, we have one of our veteran chapter members here, you know, in the, in the veterans' home. And uh, consequently, you know, of course, they don't come anymore. At their meetings, they used to have at least maybe 50 guys. Now they're down to maybe 15 or 20 if they're lucky. Even with the ladies, there's many of them who are gone now. And we were just talking about a couple of them that we still really miss. <laughs> they were the life of the party. <laughs> While there were some who, even now, all these decades later, don't want to talk about their experiences, there are others who seem to be ready. I just lost a friend from, from our organization. He said, Larry, I dream about zipping up those bags of those young kids. I, I saw that, too. And I said, I know what you feel like. He's gone now. I'm sorry. It just, it just. I'm, I'm glad I'm doing this. I'm really glad I'm doing this. I'm kind of getting it out of me. Thank you. It's a long time to hold it in. Yes, it is. I think in some cases, maybe their families, their contemporaries asked, and they weren't ready to talk about it, and maybe people stop asking, and maybe they are now ready to talk about it. So that would be, I guess, the message that I would say to anybody who has a relative who, who served in any of the wars. Just because they once said they wouldn't talk about it 
maybe now they will. You know, the, the World War II generation, they're called the greatest generation, but this generation was pretty great too. Veterans Voices Korea is produced by Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund online at minnesotavets.org.